Hey, welcome to Good Government Illinois' podcast, Politics 101 with David Orr. If you'd like to listen to any of our previous podcasts, particularly like on the Chicago municipal elections, see Spotify and or RSS.com. Now for today's podcast on big rate hikes on the horizon for gas and electric users. Um, I, among many, have been talking for a long time about the need for better regulation of utilities and especially for limiting the influence of public utilities over elected officials and vice versa. So it's very good to welcome a young leader who is taking up these issues. Abe Scar has been executive director of Illinois PERG since 2014. Illinois PERG, and that's P-I-R-G, is part of a network of public interest research groups across the country that were founded, started in the 1970s, inspired by the work of Ralph Nader and working on issues including consumer protection, energy and the environment, and expanding and defending democracy. Abe and Perg, by the way, played a big role for us in getting Illinois to pass automatic voter registration, an issue dear to my heart. And among many other things, he co-wrote a report exposing the inefficiencies and ripoffs of consumers in people's gas pipe replacement program, one of the things we want to talk about today. So, Abe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, David. It's great to be here. Good. Okay, well, it's it's a complicated subject. We'll try and make it uh, uh, as relatively understandable as possible. Uh, let's start with this. The Illinois Commerce Commission is holding hearings on a remarkable number of utility company proposals for rate increases. I believe about 1.5 billion that ComEd is seeking and 400 million for people's gas and other proposals from NICOR and others. Is this unusual and why is this all happening now? It is unusual. Uh, I don't know that there's ever been a year that all five major utilities in Illinois, there's more than that, but these are the big five ones, uh, three gas utilities, two electric utilities, are all filing rate cases at the same time. They all filed in January, they should conclude in November, December. And that just means that there's gonna be big rate increases for Illinoisans across the state come January, 2024. And it's an incredible workload for the Illinois Commerce Commission itself, as well as all the various parties who participate in these rate cases. You know, we're trying to mount the best defense or offense, depending how you're looking at it, in the rate cases to go after these rate hikes. And, you know, well, we're a lot of small nonprofit organizations with limited budgets and to be able to work um, in all these cases at the same time is, is pretty challenging. Uh, one reason why this is all happening at the same time uh, is the story of uh, utility regulation in Illinois over the last decade. And I know We'll get into this more as we talk, so I won't go into all of it now. But uh, as folks know, ComEd uh, entered into a deferred prosecution agreement a couple of years ago with the feds and admitted uh, essentially to a bribery scheme to uh, bribe then Speaker of the House Madigan. And that all started in 2011 with their formula, formula rate law. Gas utilities got in on the game in 2013 with a law known as QIP. And essentially these laws really undermined utility regulation and boosted utility profits and, and our bills. And we're just at a transition point. All those laws that were passed in 2011, 2013 are coming to an end. 
And because of that, that's why all the utilities are rushing in back to a more traditional process to raise our rates uh, with these big rate cases this year. Okay. Because um, I'm going to try to get it right. To have what we'd call fair rate increases, and this is a problem all over the country, and certainly it's been a problem in Illinois for um, goes back to the 1870s, 1880s. But you have to have, um, to get a fair deal, you have to have the bosses at utility, the bosses at utility companies. I'm not including those workers. We don't want to give them a hard time. Those people come and save our asses after there's been a, a major storm or something. But you, you need the powerful people at the utilities and you need for the legislature uh, you know, to use its power wisely and not have shady deals because of campaign contributions. And then you need whoever the commissioners are in ICC that makes the final decision. So for, for the people who don't follow this, to really have a what we call a fair rate increase, which groups like yours are fighting for, uh, utilities have to have some money, obviously, mm -hmm. but we want to increase. Um, so having said that, tell me more, for example, uh, one of the big issues that I think you've raised before, uh, and particularly with when you take Commonwealth Edison, has to do with investments um, and how they set these rate hikes. How much investment should the rate payers, the citizens of Illinois, et cetera, how much should they pay for? And is that get in the way of what we think is a fair rate hike? Well, that is the question, and it's a, it's a complicated question. I would back up just one uh, step, and you were kind of going over this, but just to provide context for everyone, you know, private utilities provide a public good, whether that's electricity or gas to heat our homes, and the state has granted them a private monopoly to provide this public good. And with that private monopoly, the opportunity to uh, earn great profit, private profit, in exchange for providing a public good. And in exchange for that, they accept regulation for the state. And this is what's known as the regulatory compact. You know, they, they have the opportunity to make uh, private profits, but they have to over, you know, undertake really stringent regulation from regulators. And in Illinois, that's done through what's known as the Illinois Commerce Commission, which is a five-person commission that in a, a big staff that, you know, gets into the real details of how utilities operate to try to set what is a fair rate um, to allow utilities and their investors to earn a fair return, but to not overcharge customers and to put too much of the burden on customers. And um, again, not to get into too much detail here, but the basic model for utility regulation for a long time has been that when a utility makes a capital investment, like in poles and wires uh, for an electric utility, they're allowed to, if that's blessed by the regulator, they get to collect the full cost of that pole or that wire from customers with a profit tacked on. So that gives utilities a big incentive to make a lot of capital investments. And you know that's purposeful. We don't want utilities underinvesting. that when they do that, our systems get unreliable, they don't work, people may not have power, or they can be dangerous, like some of the wildfires that were caused in California was because PG&E, the utility out there was underinvesting its system. So there's a reason to give them some incentive to invest and to make these profits. But of course the profit motive is powerful. And so the classic problem is that utilities want to overinvest to make investments that don't provide 
value for their customers and for the public, but do provide increased opportunities to profit for uh, shareholders. And what happened with the, the formulate law that ComEd passed in 2011 was it stripped the regulatory protections that have been in place for decades and even centuries to counterbalance that incentive to overinvest. And so what we've seen for the last decade from ComEd and similarly with the gas utilities is in my view, overinvestment, um, spending too much money too quickly um, that's not giving us increased value as customers, but is leading to record profits across the board in the utility sector in Illinois. They are, they are doing great. People's Gas just posted the sixth consecutive year of record profits in the first quarter of 2023 they had higher profits in the first quarter alone. It would have been a record back in 2016 or 2017 for the annual rec, uh, profits. Um, that's what's going on. And so, and with these rate cases, there are now the regulatory structure is changing a little bit. We're, we're returning to some level of regulatory oversight, but the utilities are basically want to keep the good times going. So there's, there's the, you know, with some changes in law, the Illinois Commerce Commission is back on the beat they have some uh, powers to you know, put some checks on this overinvestment, but the utilities are trying to say, no, 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 let's keep the good times going. Let's keep spending. And we can get into what they're um, you know, wanting to spend on because it's a little different between the electric and gas utilities, but I think both um, should be subject to great scrutiny. What we mind now is the 2011, there was major decision in 2000 and 2013. One of them had uh, a gentleman that name Doug Scott, who was chairman, I believe, of the ICC under Pat Quinn, and he's now presently chairman again, which is interesting because he seems to have a pretty good record, I think, uh, at least among the people that care about fare hikes. So the question is, was it that the time when he, he did a ruling, which many of us thought was pretty good, and then the legislature went and knocked that out? That's correct. That's the 2013 law. So the 2000 okay. law is the formula rate law or sometimes known as the smart grid law because that's how ComEd sold it to the legislators and the public while they were also, excuse me, uh, also engaged in this influence operation with the speaker. And that's what um, took away all these regulatory protections and basically granted ComEd yearly annual automatic rate hikes. In implementing that, oh, and at the time, Governor Quinn vetoed it. He was overridden. Doug Scott, as the chair of the ICC, fought vigorously against it. But, you know, the, the comment had the whole thing sewn up in the legislature and passed it over all those objections. Then, uh, over the next couple of years, in implementing the law, the ICC and their expert accountants made some, you know, pretty detailed accounting decisions that we don't want to get into right now. Um, but, you know, basic accounting decisions that were totally reasonable and, you know, I think were right, but that ComEd didn't like and that ComEd saw as going on, uh, to hurt their ability to profit. So ComEd went back to the legislature and first passed resolutions in both the House and Senate saying kind of how dare the ICC do this and the legislature saying ICC, you should really reconsider. And um, taking that, the ICC did reconsider and gave, you know, of one of the three accounting decisions, they said, okay, ComEd, you can have one of the three. But that wasn't good enough. So then ComEd went and passed a law overturning uh, the decisions and explicitly overturning ICC orders 
um, ComEd should have been penalized for their behavior under the law that they wrote, the 2011 law, but it let the law in 2013 allowed them to get out of those penalties as well. You know, to me, that it's the most brazen example of their power throughout the whole scheme. And we did some calculations a couple of years ago that calculated that those three decisions alone, those three accounting decisions, um, and how they were implemented between 2013 and I think 2020 is probably when we did the analysis too. Um, that uh, gave ComEd over $600 million in additional profits just through these accounting decisions. And that's the scale of what we're talking about here. We're talking about billions of dollars of profits um, that are on the line that we all pay for through our monthly bills. So, so just to kind of recapitalize in my kind of political mind that I said we needed, there's three critical parts. So in 2013, we had an ICC that was willing to do what I would call a fair decision, but the deals between the powerful bosses of utility companies and Mike Madigan and other legislators undercut that, okay? But yep. let, let's jump forward to a moment now. Uh, let's, let's switch over to, particularly to people's gas. One of the things you've talked about, uh, which is inherent in the incoming uh, rate hike possibilities is the, the pipe replacement program. Um, what's that all about and what's wrong with it? So People's Gas is an old gas utility. They started operating in Chicago in the mid 19th century. And um, they have a lot of old pipe material, uh, iron pipes made out of cast iron and ductile iron that um, because they haven't done an adequate job of maintaining their system over the years, is at high risk of failure now. It's about 30% of their system um, is at this higher risk of failure. And they need to do something to address that risk. That's a real risk. This is again, part of, you know we want utilities to make appropriate investments in their systems because when they do not, it can provide a safety risk. Uh, pipes that fail can explode and they do explode. In 1994, there was an explosion in Chicago in River North that killed uh, four people. Um, so. This is a real risk. People's Gas has known about the risk in their system back since the late 80s, and they've just failed to do anything uh, appropriate about it. And so the risk continues today. And back in 2009, mm -hmm. they came to the Illinois Commerce Commission and said, hey, we've got all this dangerous pipes in our system. We need to you know, spend more money more quickly to get it out of the system. And the ICC approved that. But basically from the get-go when they started what's you know, accelerating the program, again, spending more money more quickly to try to address the risks in the system in 2011, immediately it was a, a terrible mess. And the cost of the project, the estimated cost has ballooned from around one and a half billion dollars to up to $11 billion. There was a really damning audit in uh, 2014, 2015, that found all types of management problems. And it continues to be a mismanaged uh, program that's time and again, when outsiders have looked at it, they've said, People's Gas is spending you know, billions on this, roughly $300 million every year. But all the indicators of risk on the system are not going down. In fact, they may even be going up when you look at leak rates is one of the best indicators we have for the, the status of the, the pipe system. And so it's there's a big question about how they're spending this money and whether they should be spending $11 billion to overhaul their system. 
And one of the things we've outlined in our 2019 report and continue to make a big case about is that they're not actually running a program that's designed specifically to address the risks in the system. Instead of running a more targeted program that's really focused on addressing those risks, they are running a much broader program to modernize, quote unquote, modernize their entire system. And so we're spending a lot more money than is necessary and not actually addressing the risk in the system. And this would be a problem in any scenario. Like we're not getting value. We're paying more on our bills than we should. And they're making you know, six years of record profits. It's driving up bills. There are communities in Chicago right now where roughly 50% in a zip code, 50% of the customers are behind on their bills and debt at an average level of over $1,000. And it's not just one zip code, but uh, it's a number of zip codes that have really shocking levels of debt to the utility. But all this is even worse when you think about climate change and the fact that climate science tells us that we should stop burning gas in our homes to heat our homes, to heat water, to cook with over the next several decades, like ideally around 2050, by around then it would be ideal to shift to powering our homes with clean electricity. And it's totally possible to do that. I mean, it would be a very complicated transition, of course, but the technology certainly exists to have clean electric powered homes. And the city of Chicago has a goal in its climate action plan of getting 30% of residential buildings off the gas system by 2035. So, and people's gases pipe replacement program probably won't be done until 2045, 2048 on the path they're on right now. So we're potentially spending $11 billion through 2048 while people's gas may by that, by that time lose 50% more of their customer base. And it's just gonna be a huge, huge problem to deal with if we don't start addressing it now and start planning a transition off the gas system. And that's what we've been trying to do. I mean, primarily we've just been trying to stop all the wasteful spending on the system. Like, yes, they need to spend money to address risk in the system, but there's no point of modernizing a system that we're about to stop using. And, and what I get from that listening to you, Abe, is on the larger issues of the day, uh, this is not helping us with climate change because instead of allowing these billions of dollars to be spent propping up what you might call natural gas, we should be moving in a, in a different direction. We don't have to rebuild everything. Yep. So that's clearly a major, major problem there. And I'm, so that's why I'm glad that you and others are speaking up about it. Uh, a related issue on this, because you mentioned it just a minute ago, as shutoffs. One of the things that I think one of your reports, I'm not sure if you were the author or how many different groups were involved, there's a lot of shutoffs. Seems like there's increases in shutoffs. Those are, you know, electric and gas customers that just can't afford uh, some of these rate hikes. Um, and one of the things that I saw is that these major shutoffs or disconnections for people were happening at the same time that the utilities have raised executive pay and increased dividends for shareholders. And one of the reports said, which might've been yours, said, um, if they only reduce the shareholders amount by 1%, 
they wouldn't have had to cut anybody off in Illinois. And you can imagine when tens of thousands of people are cut off their electricity or gas. Um, I'm sorry if I'm not sure if that's one of your reports, but you you were involved in this. You're aware of these. uh, Yes, uh, it wasn't our report, but it's certainly something I've been tracking. Interestingly, people's gas is not shutting a lot of people off. Uh, They have the most profound in the state by far profound affordability problems. But I think they understand that they would have a huge Mm -hmm. political problem if they actually disconnected as many people as they could. And so they've actually had a pretty light touch with disconnections while also, you know, actually um, they report to their shareholders. They're owned by WEC, a, a parent company in Wisconsin. WEC in its annual filings to the SEC has reported a, a number of years that late fees is a contributor to their profits. So the affordability problems with their rates are benefiting their shareholders by people not being able to afford their bills and paying late fees month after month. With disconnections, ComEd is really more of the aggressive party. They don't have as profound affordability problems, but they do have a much bigger customer base because People's Gas is just Chicago, ComEd's most all of Northern Illinois. And um, they have also been doing great thanks to the laws they bought through their bribery scheme and making record profits. Um, and uh, have been very aggressive, especially after COVID. There was a, um, understandably, a disconnection moratorium in the early period of the pandemic. Um, But since then, Comet has been very aggressive, the most aggressive um, utility in in Northern Illinois, for sure, in doing disconnections. And there's, you know, there's a number of uh, other problems with this. One thing that's come to light recently is that they, the utilities are using uh, opaque uh, algorithms to rank their customers and are often accelerating disconnection for lower income customers. So if they think you're a higher income customer based on you know, big data that they collect and algorithms that they run, um, they'll actually give you more time to pay your bills. Uh, but if you're low income, instead of using those resources they have at their disposal to like help people out and connect them to bill assistance programs or get them on a payment plan, they're using that data to accelerate the disconnection process, which is, which is really troubling and something that I hope will get addressed uh, in these rate cases or in another proceeding. Okay, in our remaining time, Abe, let me ask you some specifics. Some, some are kind of good news, some are troubling. Let's first ask you about political contributions. That's something you've talked about. I've talked about it for years because um, I would go to, let's say, state reps and state senators, sometimes friends and just acquaintances, their fundraisers. And I don't care if there's only 15 people in the room. There was always somebody there from People's Gas and Commonwealth Edison. And given they're a monopoly, again, given the right to be a monopoly by the state of Illinois, uh, isn't that outrageous that they can give money to the politicians who can shape the decisions about the rate hike. Um, and what do you yeah. think about that? And should yes. we do away with that ability? Yes, we've called and introduced legislation that would take away regulated utilities' ability to make political contributions. And it outrages me as it outrages you, but um, we're not <laughs> not the majority of the legislature so far. And some people, when I bring this up, question whether, you know, under current Supreme Court jurisprudence that 
you know, do we have a free speech problem, which I just don't think is the case. Um, again, these are really creatures of the state. It's a state grants a monopoly. And oftentimes with um, campaign finance laws, they also look, you know, was the legislature acting in response to some sort of corruption controversy? Can they have a, a real motive to limit political corruption through taking action like this? And obviously here in Illinois, that is the case. So, um, you know, I thought after the ComEd scandal broke that that would be a golden opportunity to pass reforms like this. Um, but I was very disappointed that we weren't able to pass this or other reforms that, that fell short of this. And it's just the case that throughout, even throughout the scandal, ComEd uh, and its allies have remained very powerful in Springfield and we'll keep pushing, but um, it's gonna take, I think probably some other big scandal or maybe just the rates continuing to go up to change the politics such that we'd have a realistic shot to limit the political spending uh, by utilities. One other thing I'd note is that um, the utilities in Illinois are actually able to charge their customers when they make charitable contributions. So not political contributions, but giving to charities. Illinois is unique in the nation in that utilities can charge all of those expenses back to their customers. And to me, charity is not giving away someone else's money, but they're giving away our money and that's part of their influence operation as well. And I'd say at times, you know, that, that gives them more power than the political contributions that they make to politicians um, because uh, they can be very influential and they're giving to favored charities of legislators. Um, and it's, it's certainly been a big part of their power over time. Good, because I'm going to ask you about the charities. Is, is it true that Illinois might be the only state that is doing that pass through that, you know, giving charitable money, but then making the ratepayers pay for it? Yes, I believe Illinois is unique in that it allows for 100% collection. So some other states they may say, okay, you give us to charity and you can collect 50% from your customers and the rest have to come out of profits. Uh, but Illinois is unique in that um, the utilities are allowed to charge 100% of their charitable contributions uh, to their customers. Okay, and just if people don't understand that, say, oh, well, charity isn't that nice. We'll keep something in mind, not only what you said, that this, this builds a whole lobbying group for them, but keep in mind when uh, elected officials get caught and often are convicted for certain things, a lot of times they can end up saying, well, I'll just give the money, whatever, to charities. Well, remember, giving money from a politician to charities, that's still a little kinky because that's winning favor. And if you're doing something wrong, you shouldn't be allowed to use that money to win favor. So anyway, uh, I, I totally burnishes, wish you hope we could yeah, change it. Burnishes their reputation, uh, makes them look good to the public. They get benefit out of it and we're paying for it. Absolutely right. Uh, let me ask you something I think is, is better news. Didn't the legislature do something recently about interveners, which could be really good for organizations like yours? Didn't they make it more easy uh, for groups like your own to intervene in these complicated cases because they can be so expensive? Potentially, yes. So, um, so folks understand when a utility files a rate case, it kicks off a 11 month administrative process that you need lawyers and you need expensive experts 
to participate in. And it can quickly run into the tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars to meaningfully participate in a rate case as an intervener. And uh, in the 2021 CJLA, Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, they, we created a program for intervener compensation where public interest groups like mine or community groups have the potential to get their expenses covered. Um, the law's not as strong as we may like. It, you know, it forces you to have to put up all the money up front with the chance that you'll get the money on the back end. And there's a standard that you need to make a you know, meaningful, substantial contribution to the rate case. So it's definitely a step forward. We'll see how it goes this year. Uh, and, and as we start to test it out, but there's even been legislation filed this year that unfortunately didn't advance to try to make some improvements. So it is uh, better facilitates more participation, especially from the you know, not as well-funded nonprofits and community organizations who have traditionally been shut out of the rate case process. Okay, let, let me note a couple of quick other, what I consider good news in, in our conversation. For one, it does seem like the ICC, which is five commissioners, uh, they have particularly a majority of commissioners that have shown they are, they're not puppets, they're not uh, influenced by some of the shady deals in the state. That's good news. It's good news that then you mentioned about interveners. Um, it's also uh, Governor Pritzker back in March, I believe, he wrote an um, editorial in one of the newspapers. I thought it was very powerful. And he made a whole bunch of suggestions in that. Um, and he was concerned partly because in that the Climate and Equability Jobs Act, I think he said this, the electric utilities were forced to accept additional consumer rate protections, okay, enforced by ICC, but he mentioned that gas was left out. So there's a number of things that the governor seems to be pretty strong here, uh, which we don't always get. We certainly had, a, in Pat Quinn, we had a governor that was very supportive generally of the ratepayers. So these are things that, that look like there's some good news here. Now, none of us can tell us what the ICC decides in December or uh, whether or not there's any interference after that by the courts or the legislature. But having said all this, and you spelled out some of, the, some of those details involving investments and the pipelines and so forth, uh, what are some final suggestions you have for our listeners and what can people do to help in this very complicated battle? Um, just give us your concluding and, suggestions. And I would agree. Uh, I just want to, I know on your, your last good news, I was, I was more uh, cautious about the intervener compensation, but I agree unqualified that the recent appointments by Governor Pritzker have been really good as was that op-ed that ran in the Sun-Times about greater scrutiny for gas utilities. So those are really positive steps. Uh, if folks wanna be involved, uh, one is you can support organizations like mine, or Hub, or the Environmental Law and Policy Center who regularly intervene in these cases. You can um, make a public comment on the Illinois Commerce Commission website on the cases. Um, you can okay. attend a meeting and make a public comment. And then there's actually a motion pending right now in the People's Gas case from AARP to hold public hearings on the People's Gas rate case later this summer. So I'm very hopeful that the commission will grant that request and that there will be a, a much better forum for public engagement and involvement in the, at least the People's Gas rate case. 
So folks can stay tuned, David, I'll keep you in the loop if that happens so you can let your audience know. Um, but that would be a, a potentially a great opportunity for folks to come out and have their voice heard on the people's gas rate increase. Okay, well, we'll look to your leadership, Abe, and um, uh, whatever we find out about those hearings, for example, here at Good Government, we'd be glad to advertise that as widely as possible. And I know it's a complicated subject, but I think you've done a really good job giving us some insights that history is important, uh, what we're up against. Uh, again, we're not saying that there should never be rate hikes. We just want them to be fair. So thank you, Abe Scar from PERG. We appreciate what you do on these issues and other important issues, like I mentioned earlier. So thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you as always.